We'll be reading from verse 3 up to verse 14. Um, may we stand up for the reading of the word. Verses are titled, Spiritual Blessings. Three. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and closed us in Christ to be Sorry, even before he made the world, God loved us and, closed, and chose us in Christ uh, to be united. Uh, so, sorry, this is so far from me. Sorry, please. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Five, God decided in advance to adopt us into his holy family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and he gave him great pleasure, and he gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgive our sins. Eight, he has showed his kindness on us along with all the wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plans regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ everything in heaven and on earth. 11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work according to his plan. 12. God's purpose was what we Jews, who were first to trust Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you, Gentiles, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. 14. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify his name. Uh, the word of the Lord. Thanks, Toma. Well, as I was processing and reflecting on this passage this past week, I was reminded of a, uh, of a trip that I took to, to Vancouver probably eight years ago, and it was for a youth pastor conference, and I took some volunteers with me, and we spent the weekend together, and we enjoyed the, the beautiful Vancouver weather and, and just the, the warm fall air and just the, the, the beauty that is the lower mainland. 
Meanwhile, in Lethbridge, they were, that weekend, they were receiving one of the heaviest snowfalls that, that Lethbridge had ever received. And so we laughed and laughed and, and, and basked in our warm weather until we got home and realized, oh, there's a lot of shoveling to do. And as many of you are aware, in Lethbridge, in southern Alberta, there, it's, it's also known for its wind. And, and so what had happened around my house was the snow had fallen, but the wind had smoothed it over and hardened it to the point where it was pretty hard. And, and so I, I got home from Vancouver and started to, to shovel the sidewalk and realized very quickly that this job was, was not going to be as simple as, as shoveling just a light skip of snow, that it's going to require some effort, it's going to require some time, to, to basically carve out sections of snow and heave it out of the way. And, and I don't like shoveling to begin with, and so uh, this was one of those jobs that I, that I was dreading. And, and so as I, as I advanced forward and realized that every block was going to take about 15 minutes to do, it took me several hours to clear out the, the, si- the small sidewalk that we had in front of our house. I say that this passage remind this, as I, I was reminded of this weekend because this passage in a lot of ways reminded me of shoveling that sidewalk, where it seemed like there was just, there's just a lot of content to these first few verses in Ephesians 1. There's a lot of meat that we have to, to process, try to understand, and even as I was sitting here, I was thinking, oh, there's, there's, I, could, I could say this, or I could add this, and there's just so much to it that I, that I wanted to, to speak to. Uh, and, and so we have to, I want to be careful that we wade through this particular portion of Scripture really thoughtfully and carefully, and, and at times slowly, as we consider, as we grasp what Paul is actually saying here, the beginning of Ephesians. A couple things I want to say, first of all, is that we are going to be journeying through uh, the, the book of Ephesians until we're finished it. And, and so I don't know how long that's going to take. My, my expectation is it will be till, until summer for sure. Uh, so I'll, I'll work through Ephesians and then Sig will he'll, he'll share his messages and then we'll continue in Ephesians until, until we're through it. So I want to give some context here to, to what is happening. What is, what is this letter to Ephesians all about? A couple things. First of all, generally when, when Paul wrote his letters, he was attempting to address certain issues uh, within churches that he was writing to, that he would, he would address church disunity. He would talk about false teachings and, and uh, doct- doctrinal errors. And many of, the, many of Paul's letters were written to specific, uh, specific churches in certain cities or provinces throughout the Mediterranean, or he would address certain people. So we have, for example, the, the first and second Corinthians. It was written to the church in Corinth. First and second Timothy would be written to Timothy. Ephesians, though, was one of Paul's last letters, and most people think that he wrote it when he was in jail. This letter, though, is what's known as a circular letter, which meant that when Paul wrote this particular letter, that it was sent to this, this, this main campus, this main church in, in Ephesus. The idea behind that would be that they would receive this letter, and then they would gather as a, as a, as a congregation, and they would read this letter out loud, and they would be able to enjoy what this teaching that Paul has shared with them. Maybe someone would, would copy it down and they would have their own copy. But then they, as, a, as the mother church, they would send it to the, another congregation and, they would, and then that congregation would gather and they would read out what Paul has said and then they would pass it to another church and it would circulate around Ephesus and they would circulate around some of the different areas. 
That's what, that's what the intent of this particular letter was. The book of Ephesians, though, has two main parts to it. The first three chapters kind of address the idea of the why. Why are we Christians? And the last three chapters address the how. So why are we Christians and how do we live that out? Paul's first encounter with the, with the Ephesians in Ephesus uh, happened during his, his second of three missionary journeys. So he took three missionary journeys all throughout the Mediterranean. And on his second journey, he stopped in Ephesus just for a short while. But he didn't start that church. It was someone else, and, and, but he spent some time there just doing some teaching and, and doing some leadership uh, uh, things. And, and, but he, he, conti- he continued on with his journey. On his third missionary journey, he came back to Ephesus and spent about three and a half years there. And so Paul has this, has this familiarity, this affinity with this specific group of people. Ephesus, if you're not aware, is, is in modern-day Turkey. In Ephesus, at that point in time, there was also this epicenter for pagan worship. It was also under Roman imperialist occupation. Part of one of the, the defining features of Ephesus was this, temp, this enormous temple that was, dedicated to the temple that was dedicated to the goddess Artemis or the goddess of Diana, whoever was, whoever was ruling the time, whether it was the Greeks or the Romans. And this temple, though, was one of seven wonders of the ancient world. It was an enormous temple. So this gives us kind of, the, gives us a t- kind of a context in terms of what is the culture the Christians were living in at the time. But so, this, so all of these pieces help us to understand what is happening. Give us some context to what Paul is addressing here in his, in his letter to the, to the Ephesians. So he has a prior, Paul has a prior relationship with them. They're under Roman occupation. And it's an epicenter for pagan worship. But as I said earlier, this specific passage is a little like shoveling thick, dense snow. And, and so I plan to only actually unpack verses... Uh, I actually plan to unpack verses 10 through 14 next week just to give some intentional time with this idea of inheritance, this idea of talking about God the Spirit. And so the majority of our time this morning is just going to be spending time talking about around verses 3 through 9. And these verses, but one thing I do want to say about these specific verses, 3 through 14, is that this is an incredibly Trinitarian passage where we see the distinct personhoods of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All fully God, yet performing unique functions to reveal the divinity of each persons of God. And so if you're ever looking for some scriptural support to, to point you towards the Trinity, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, this is, a, I think, a critical section of scripture. So I want to start, though, in verse 3, where we see that Paul doesn't waste any time with this letter. He doesn't spend a lot of time greeting people like he normally does in some of his other letters. Because of that, some commentators think that, that, that maybe it wasn't Paul that wrote this letter, that it could have been someone else, because it's, it's inconsistent with some of Paul's other writings. Most people have concluded, though, that he just wanted to get down to business, and he, and he just bypassed some of that. And so he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I read that, I was thinking, okay, so what, where is Paul going with this initially? And I, and, I was, and I was reminded of, you know when movies, when, when, uh, when you start the movie and this, this action sequence or this dramatic, dram, dramatical sequence that, that's happening right at the very beginning and you're left wondering, okay, what, what, ha- is, what is happening? What, what is the context that this, is, this event is occurring? 
And then the scene pauses and it says, six months earlier, dot, 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 or two years earlier. And, and then it kind of flashes back to, to, to a scenario, to a scene that begins to lead us to a series of events to that particular moment. I think that's what, is hap- that's what it feels like to me is happening in this series of passages, series of scriptures, where Paul makes this the statement, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, dot, 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 there's flashback. And so this, this, this statement seems a little out of place in a bubble. And so as Paul backtracks to help us grasp, what is the context that he is using to come to this conclusion? And he writes in verse 4, He chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us before the foundation of the world. That means that even before God created everything that we know, including you and I, God chose us. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Even before that moment, God had a plan to choose us. Well, what did he choose us for? And what we see in the following verses is that he chose you and I to be in his family. That even before he created all things, God had in his mind that he wanted us in his family. Now the word that Paul uses here to describe this idea in verse 5 is the word adoption. Before all of creation, God decided he wanted to adopt us. Now the best way that I could describe this idea of choosing to adopt us without it seeming like certain people are pre-selected is if I were to go home today after church and see my three kids, Abigail, Silas, and Elizabeth, and, and say to them, Abby, Silas, Ellie, I love each of you equally. I'd like to take you for ice cream. Who wants to come with me? Now at this point, I have declared my love for each of them. But I haven't pre-assigned who I'm going to take for ice cream. Instead, I have chosen each of them and said, I'm choosing you three, but I'm giving you equal opportunity to accept my invitation. And I've said, I'm choosing each of you to join me. Now will you accept my invitation? Now, this is a pretty simple illustration for this context, but the idea of adoption is a lot more intensive. If you've ever been adopted or you know someone who has gone through that process or maybe you've considered or you looked into it, you know that the adoption process can be challenging. You know there's lots of emotions, lots of ups and downs. It's quite intrusive as the agencies try to match up the best family for each child. You submit an application form. You describe why you think that you are a suitable candidate. You include your medicals. You have to attend a seminar. During that seminar, they, they, they spend time getting to know you and letting you know what you're getting yourself into and laying before you expectations as well. The application that you submit also requires multiple reference checks. They check your finances. They check your criminal record check. They check your child intervention record check. They check your medical reports, your birth certificates, your marriage certificates, even your parents' certificates. The agencies are incredibly thorough when it comes to adoption. And after the application has been assessed, then you have a home visitation and a social worker comes to your home and they begin to assess whether they think that you are a good match for one of their kids. And they would do a home study and, and and then you wait. And you wait some more. And you wait maybe up to six months, up to, all the way up to seven years potentially. 
And it's not an easy journey for the people who are considering adoption. And it's not simple. So what motivates parents to adopt kids? Love. The love that they have for a child that they don't know yet motivates them to take all of those steps. The love that they have for a child that they don't know yet motivates them to take all those steps. That child hasn't done anything for them. There hasn't been anything based on performance. It's just been strictly their love for a child, a faceless child at this point. Yet they've already chosen a child because their love leaves them with no other choice. They are compelled by love. And the motivation for God's adoption process isn't actually that much different. Paul writes, I'm going to read the verse again, but I'm going to read it from the, from the message version. Just to give you a, a, an idea, just as I was, before I read this, I was, as I was preparing this message, and I, was, I found myself just stewing over a number of different questions as I was wrestling with this scripture. And if you go to my office, you'll see this, this whiteboard. What I ha- Natalie saw it this week, and she's like, you're like a mad scientist. Like, you, it's like all over the place. You know, one of those crazy people that have pictures and conspiracy theorists and stuff like that? That's what my, that's what my, my this whiteboard looks like. And, and so it took, it, it was, there was a lot of reflection and processing that I was, that I was going through as I was considering this. And, and so I think that the message version is helpful in this sense uh, just to kind of simplify things. It's almost like having pre-chewed food. And, uh, and so this is the passage. It says, Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ. A long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in Him. Everything in deepest heaven. Everything on planet Earth. Like any good idea, if you want to accomplish that goal, you need to make a strategy on how to get there. Or even before creation, God had already mapped out this strategy to adopt you and I into His family. Even before, even before all things were created, God had this strategy how he was going to adopt us. And Ephesians 7 through 10 begins to lay it out for us. Verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now the word redemption that we read here in this passage is, this, is defined as this releasing affected by payment of ransom. The releasing effected by payment of ransom. That a ransom has been paid. That through the blood of Jesus Christ, a payment has been made. The payment that Paul is referring to here is the payment for our choices that are in opposition to God. The Bible calls those choices sin. Throughout the Bible, we see that because of our sin, we have created relational distance between us and God. And that we can't undo it. Where the essence of who we are cannot coexist with the essence of who He is. And the gap between us and God always exists because our sin keeps it that way. And what we see is that God knew that even before that gap ever existed, that God had a plan to fill the gap between us and Him. The Bible tells us that in order for that gap to be filled, that there's a cost for the choices that we make. 
The Bible tells us that the payment for our sin choices is death. Because of our sin choices, we deserve death. In order for that redemption payment to be made then, it would require someone's death. But God's plan before the creation of the world was that he would send his own son to be that death payment for humanity. That it's Jesus that would redeem our death so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus would pay our ransom. And the gap would be closed through Jesus Christ. God recognized before creation that in order for this adoption plan to work, humanity was to be redeemed for their choices. That God was the only one who had the ability to make that payment for our sins. So God, out of his own initiative, takes the necessary steps to redeem us. And what we see in verse 8 is that this redemptive adoption plan happens because of God's grace. And it's this undeserved love that he lavishes on us. Now that word lavish that we see in, in Scripture here is this idea of excess or abundance. It's, it's this overwhelming quantities of, of grace that he extends to us. He gives, he gives us more grace than we need or deserve. Now unlike a typical adoption process though, kids typically don't have a say which family they get selected into. That's one of the reasons why the screening process is so thorough. But God created you and I with the, the ability to make our own decisions. So we're given a choice then as to whether to accept the adoption process that has been extended to us and to be adopted into God's family. There's no cost, no hidden fees, no reference checks. Just a decision that we're going to accept the invitation to be redeemed by Jesus and adopted by God because of his excessive love for us. And it means that once we accept the adoption papers, we are his. That we belong to him. I remember Mike was a friend of mine that, that I met when he was 13, 12 or 13 years old. And, and, uh, and over the course of junior high, he and I got to know each other a little bit. And, and, uh, and, as, and, and he was one of those kids that just people just loved. He was just a really friendly kid and just really personable and good sense of humor and just everyone seemed to really gravitate towards Mike. Well, when Mike was in grade 11, uh, I started mentoring him a little bit more intentionally and, and, I, and I got to hear his story. One of the pieces that I didn't realize until that time was that he was adopted. And, uh, and so he was able to share with me some of that experience. But over the course of our gathering together, I discovered that he just had a lot of anger in his life and a lot of insecurities, and, and a lot of his humor came as a way to, to deflect some of his insecurities. Well, as high school progressed for Mike, uh, he started to make choices that really reflected his anger and his own insecurities, and he started getting involved in a group of people that, that really kind of fed into that and gave him a, an outlet for those things and, in a negative way. And, and so he got pretty heavily involved in the drug scene. And Mike was one of those kids who just wanted to be accepted and wanted to be loved. And so he spent time with this group of, group of friends and until one day I got a call from his parents that said that he had been arrested for a home invasion. And, and Mike had broken into another drug dealer's house to try and steal drugs from, from him, and, and, but he had got caught. And I remember meeting with, with Mike and, and he, he was so angry at himself and disappointed and, and broken. And, and we were able to talk about 
this, this idea that, that, that Christ forgives all things. And, and he began to, to recommit his life to Jesus. And, and the day before he went to jail, I had the opportunity to, to baptize him. And, and during that year that, that he was in, in jail, I would meet with him and he shared his frustration and his anger and heartbreak and disappointment and resentment and bitterness and all of these broken feelings that he was experiencing. And he just had so much regret for the choices that he had made over the previous years. But the thing that I remember more than Mike were his parents. Where Mike had seemed to, to reject his parents, seemed to be so resentful towards them. And in spite of that, they continued to love him. They constantly affirmed to him that, that he was their child. That even though he made regrettable choices, nothing changed the fact that he belonged to his parents. That's the thing with adoption. That we aren't adopted because of anything that we do, but instead we are adopted because of a love that invites us into a belonging to a family that's not our own. God takes it even a step further, and, and isn't it, it, it isn't just that it's not that we have anything we haven't done, but it's that we actually make choices that are in opposition to him. And he still says, I love you. He still says, I want to adopt you. And it has nothing to do with our actions or our past or our worthiness or our unworthiness. But instead, God adopts us because of his love for us. Jesus is the personification of love. He becomes the payment required in order to fulfill the adoption process. This morning, as we consider that we have been adopted into God's family through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what do we do with this? How does this shape our lives? How does this affect how we live? Well, I think this is the point now where we, where we return to verse 3, where we, we have now been given some context as to where Paul is coming from. And it's, Paul says, praise be, praise or blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are chosen. You are adopted. You are loved by God. Your life has been paid for by Jesus. And God's grace is invited, is offered to you. The word blessed here is this, is this expression of worship or praise. Praise the adoption plan of God. And he's inviting us not just to be in awe of his love and grace for us, but he's also now inviting us into a relationship with him. And his motivation wasn't just that we would admire him, but that we would now know him and be in relationship with him. So here's three ways that we can respond to our, to our adoption into God's family that reflects our worship in God. One, live out your freedom. When a child is adopted, when Mike was adopted, his parents didn't know what, what he had done or what he was going to do. It didn't matter to them. They knew that the child that they were receiving wasn't going to be perfect. But they accepted, that, they, they accepted Mike exactly as he was and loved him exactly for who he was. God wouldn't go through this adoption process of allowing his son to die on the cross only to hold our past against us later. 
Jesus paid for us to be free. That past is gone. Live out your freedom. Learn about your Father. God has invited us into adoption because he wants us in his family. So that as his creation, we would be in relationship with him. That God wouldn't be some distant deity, but instead that God would be personal and present in our lives and that we would learn more about God as the father who adopted us into his family. We live to worship God by discovering more about him in his word and through conversations with him. Learn about your father. Three, love others like family. One of the highlights for many families for many families, is getting together for family reunions or holiday celebrations, seeing people that you haven't seen in a long time, reconnecting and sharing stories and laughing and crying and, and remembering the, the, the days of past. But when we gather together as adopted sons and daughters of God, theologically, it's like family again. It's like a family reunion every Sunday. where we, as adopted brothers and sisters, we gather at Thornhill Baptist Church and we recognize that some of us are from Nigeria, Cameroon, Philippines, Germany, and all kinds of places around the world. And we gather young and old, male and female, rich and poor, employed, unemployed, and we gather as adopted brothers and sisters that make up our family. If you have accepted the invitation to be adopted by God, you are part of a family rooted in Jesus Christ. Love others like family. So live out your freedom, learn about your Father, and love others like family. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up here. There's some of you this morning, though, who have been living in our past We have information about God. Maybe those that don't have a relationship with Him at all. Maybe for some of you, this idea of being adopted by God is is this decision that you haven't made in your life yet, but you want to. Where you've been living your life apart from God and you want to be part of God's family. You've just been going through the motions. You've been just kind of, you've recognized that there's a lot of things going on that you're saying, I don't really feel like I'm part of this adopted family that God has invited me into. And maybe you're beginning to get a, an idea of how deep God's love for you, that he thought of adopting you before he created everything. Maybe for some of you this morning, you haven't accepted those adoption papers that God is inviting you to accept. God has chosen you as someone he would like to adopt, and, and now he's extended the invitation. Well, the ball is now in your court. Will you accept that invitation? If that's you, if that, if that is you and you're, and, and you're saying, I would like to be adopted into God's family, I'm tired of being, I'm tired of doing my own thing. I'm going to provide an opportunity for you just to pray a prayer after me. There's nothing magical about the words, but more it's the, the faith in, in which you pray these things. If, so if you would like to be adopted into God's family this morning, or maybe you're, you're kind of like Mike was who who've been doing his own thing for so long and, and has realized I, I, have, I've, I haven't really accepted that invitation. I've, maybe I've rejected it or I've, ran away, I've been running away from it for so long. 
You just pray this prayer after me. Father God, I want to be adopted by you. It's written in your word that if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that you have raised him from the dead, that I'll be saved. I confess that Jesus is my Lord. I believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. I renounce my past life and accept your invitation to be adopted by you. I want to live for you. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. Jesus is my Lord, and I'm a new creation. Amen. Live out your freedom. God has adopted you, and you have been paid for by his grace. Learn about your Father. God has adopted you and wants to be in relationship with you. Love others like family. God has placed other people in our lives who are adopted brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's celebrate knowing that we aren't alone and that we're surrounded by a community of people who are rooted in the same love as you.